Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, before we get started with this episode, I wanted to let you in on something super exciting. Something very special is happening around here. We are launching a new podcast network. Yes, it's called Gable Media. That's Gable, like the roof, but leave off the E. G-A-B-L, Gable Media. This is something that I've wanted to do for a very long time, and it's finally happening. I've invited my friend Demetrius Lynch from Spaces Podcast to join my team, and he's working hard developing and producing our very first new show. It's a new podcast about marketing, branding, and the power of telling your unique story as a small firm entrepreneur architect. And it's hosted by my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles of Echo Engagement. The Build Your Brand podcast is coming this March. Here's a little teaser to just give you a little bit, a little bit of a taste of what we're working on. So that's, that's a good question. What does an architect do? For a long time, I've wondered why some companies succeed and some don't. Why one can rise to be synonymous with an industry while many of the most creative on the planet toil away in relative obscurity. I'm Jeff Eccles, and I invite you to join me for the Build Your Brand podcast. From Gable Media, creators of the Entree Architect podcast, this is the podcast miniseries where I explore how the best brands in the world think differently and act differently on their way to becoming the best, and what you can learn from them because no matter the size, the journey is the same. 
This season, I'll open the cowl and look inside Southwest Airlines to see what makes them tick and what architects can learn from an airline that started with a simple purpose that's grown into a cult-like dedication to what matters most. Well, at first, the board wanted to upgrade and change the way they did things. They even voted to put some of these things in place, but Herb Kelleher overruled them. He knew that Southwest couldn't do the things they did. They couldn't give people the freedom to fly in the same way if they made these changes. He also knew the airline industry really well and knew that first-class service with bargain basement prices wouldn't work. When we started out, we said, we're going to have a special niche in the industry. And if we're going to make it a really distinctive niche, we have to do things innovatively. And so we did. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a really big company that does something completely different from what I do. And they've got a really big budget to boot. Here's a hint. Even if you don't have a half billion dollar marketing budget, some of the things that companies like Southwest Airlines do to rise to the top are both free and priceless. Join me in March as I start out on my Build Your Brand journey by exploring Southwest Airlines' origin story and uncovering the one simple idea that changed everything and allowed you to be, as Southwest puts it, You are now free to move about the country. Our first new show from Gable Media, Build Your Brand Podcast. It's coming this March. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 312, Strategic SEO for Small Firm Architects. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all free at RCAT.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. And Gusto. Easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses just like ours. Carolyn Leiden, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. I, it's great to have you here. This is an important topic, and I think uh, lots of architects are going to be really interested in what you're about to talk to us about. Uh, but before we get into that, let's introduce you. Uh, Carolyn grew up spending weekends helping the, the small family business with everything from paperwork to advertising. And later in, in her first real job as a writer for a marketing agency, she quickly learned that if she wanted people to read what she created for clients, she needed to teach herself SEO. Well, if anybody doesn't know what SEO is, SEO is search engine optimization. Um, it's how to get noticed by Google and the other big search engines. It's how to how people can find you uh, when they search for you. And she's been uh, dedicated to search ever since. So these experiences led her to love helping businesses like us um, learn how SEO can become the foundation of their business strategy. strategy. So when uh, Carolyn um, introduced herself to me, I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. This is a subject that so many of us uh, know we need to, to address. 
Many of us have not yet addressed it uh, because as we know, we've talked about this in the past, marketing is important and your website is the foundation of that marketing strategy. That's how people find you as architects and the best way for them to find you is when they search for you, they actually find you. (laughs) That's what SEO is all about. So Carolyn, I I shared a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, I would love for you to share your origin story, share your story, go back as far as you'd like to go um, and Tell us about how you discovered uh, your passion for what you do and uh, share that story from that point to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I, I essentially grew up in a small family business. My Everyone in my family worked um, in it. And so, of course, on the weekends as a kid, it was probably interesting as a tw- like 12 year old, I would go and I would stuff envelopes. There would be like an assembly line of things for our marketing back in the day. Um, back when you sent mail, (laughs) what what kind of business was it? This is actually really interesting. My grandma owned, um, or she created a type of shear for cutting hair. And so she owned a school essentially to teach people how to specifically use that hairdressing tool. Wow. So So entrepreneurism is in your blood from your grandma. Yes, yes, yes. That's and very cool. That's what my mom likes to say too, is like, you inherited it. You always meant to be your, yeah, <laughs> your own yeah. boss. Oh, I believe uh, that. <laughs> I do believe that too. Yeah. Uh, it's also sort of like a way of life. Like once you've learned it, uh, it's kind of interesting to like go work for other people and then realize like, oh, there are elements of this that I would do differently. And then when you open your own business, making sure that you, you do those sort of things. But, uh, Essentially, I've since then I've worked for small businesses, uh, entrepreneur-owned businesses, and I've sort of seen how the insides of those work. And as I progress throughout my career, uh, I, like you mentioned, I worked for a small agency that was owned by uh, a woman in Atlanta, and I was a copywriter there. So I wrote everything from blog posts for people in all different kinds of industries to social media posts, et cetera. And I really wanted to figure out like how, how are people getting to the content that I'm writing or why are they not reading it? And that's when the owner of that business said, here, let me show you Google analytics. And it tied numbers to the content that I was writing. And ever since then, I was very interested in making sure that what I was creating online was being seen by people. And that was sort of my intro into SEO. Yeah. And then from there, I worked at a bunch of different kind of agencies. I worked in a bunch of different industries, sort of gathering as much information I could about local businesses, enterprise sized businesses, how search engine optimization varied for those individual businesses. And then I got the opportunity this past year to sort of branch out on my own and serve the small businesses that I, sort of started in from the very beginning. And I've been passionate about it for a really long time. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to do it uh, in a way that I'm very passionate about and serve the small businesses and medium-sized businesses that I've worked with my entire career. Yeah, it's very fulfilling to work with small businesses. And, and you know, our community are all small firm architects who are launching firms and building firms and growing firms. And, and they're not all young architects. There's lots of older architects that have been doing it for 20 years that are still small firm architects learning new ways of doing things. Uh, before we jump into SEO, I want to go back to writing. Yes. You said you were a copywriter. How did you how did you find that niche? Where did that come from? I mean, if you started working in the, in the store and, and the business 
with your family and you started working with other companies. How did you find your way to, to writing? Was that just a passion that you had or was there some st strategy to that? A little bit of both. So uh, part of what I did when I was helping out of the family business is uh, teaching my grandparents and my mom the technology that comes along with writing. So along with stuffing the envelopes, like I taught my grandparents how to use Word yeah. <laughs> uh, to create the pieces that we were sending out to people. And I had always really enjoyed creative writing as a kid. Uh, then I graduated from college with degrees in English literature and writing communications and a minor in psychology. So I was like, this is essentially the perfect amalgamation for becoming a marketing copywriter because you're looking at the communications aspect, understanding uh, what people are looking for, serving their needs with content, and then also the psychology side of it. So what are people, when people type something in, what are they actually looking for? What, what solutions do I have to their problems that maybe, you know, nobody searches the solution because they don't know what it is yet. They search for the problem. So how can I sort of bridge that gap? And I think that's also where it crosses over into, into search engine optimization because looking at that uh, user query or this the intent of the searcher or the target audience, and then how can I serve that with the content I was writing? Yeah, that's very interesting how, and you said that before as well, that 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 the that SEO gave numbers, tied numbers to the words you were writing, basically created some data that said, okay, well, these words work and these words don't work. Right. And it sort of could adjust the way you write things in order to get more, more noticed. Um, exactly, yeah. So before we dive too deep into it, let's stay very high level. Um, sure. What is SEO and why is it important? Yeah, so at the very zoomed out level, search engine optimization is looking at not only what the criteria that search engines use to understand what content is on your website, evaluate it, and then serve it up in search engine results. That's what I think a lot of people see as SEO. They're like, our main job is to serve the search engines. But if you take it one step back, uh, search engines like Google, their goal is actually to serve the user. So they want anyone who comes to Google to have a great search experience. They want you to type in exactly what you're looking for, and then they want to provide the result that is the best result for you. And so a lot of people, I think, stop at the, the search engine optimization aspect of SEO. We're just here to please the search engines. But to me, search engine optimization is really about looking at the user. So the person who will eventually come to your website, what they're searching for online, sort of like what I mentioned earlier, if they have a problem, what are they actually searching for in a solution? And how can you provide that content on your digital properties online? So it's more than just the search engine. It's more than just, I think, SEO sort of has a bad rap in some circles, because people think it's all about smoke and mirrors and tricking Google. But I think a good SEO will look at what your target audience is looking for and how you can best serve your potential searcher and user. And that's becoming more and more critical. And actually, actually, it's required now, right? Because Google, it used to be really easy to hack Google, right? It used to yes. be able to have specific keywords, put that keyword in your website a lot. And, yes. and the algorithm would find that website that has that word all over the place and they'll pop it right up to the top. Today, that doesn't work. Today, Google's, Google has become very uh, sophisticated in what they're doing. The algorithm has evolved and grown and changed. And now, because of that experience that Google is trying to 
uh, uh, provide its users, it doesn't let you do that anymore, right? So the, so the quality of the content and the, the value of what you're writing, um, it being exactly what the, the user is looking for is the most important piece, right? Yes, absolutely. It was definitely easy to hack Google back in the day, but they've gotten so advanced and, uh, and they have pulled elements from so many different like variations of technology. So it's, they've got the algorithm, it's constantly updating. They have different variations. Um, they personalize searches based on your search history, but they also look at things they're involving more and more things like natural language processing. So trying to understand synonyms for things like if someone types in this word it could also mean these different things for example if you type in chicago pizza uh, do you want a chicago style pizza where you're at where you're searching or are you in chicago looking for pizza nearby it it takes so many factors into consideration um, and sort of amalgamates them all together to provide the best search result for you and so it's definitely not as easy I've, I've been in so I'm part of so many like marketing Facebook groups where people are like, I've, I've done it. I've hacked Google. And I'm always like, just wait until the next big algorithm right. update. Google's going to figure out like you're they'll they take so many factors into consideration to figure out whether you're actually doing the best to serve the user and answer the user's questions. And when they figure out that that's not what you're doing, you're going to drop right back down in search engine results. So I think that's why I really like to focus on the user when it comes to SEO, because I think when you focus on the search engine, you're always a couple of steps behind because Google is constantly changing. I think uh, the number, this might be an older number, but it's like they update their algorithm 600 some odd times a year. So it's an average of two times a day. We're never going to keep up with that. But <laughs> right. if we're keeping up with what people are searching for and and what our potential target audiences want and need from us, then we're ahead of Google because Google's trying to do the same thing. Yeah. And I get, I get messages from members of the community all the time saying, I've, I've built the website. I have the keywords in the right place. And it's, you know, it's, it's what the, my customer wants and I'm still on page eight, right. you know? And so let's, let's look at this in terms of maybe some of the people who are listening. Let's say we're a small firm architect. Uh, we do, we specialize in additions and alterations of homes. So it's residential work. Um, and we're based in, uh, suburban Indianapolis. Um, what do we do? I mean, I built the website. I have my projects on it. I have an about page. I have a way to contact me. I have the right keywords in, I say Indianapolis architect, residential additions and alterations. It's all in there, but I'm still on page four. How do I get pushed closer to the top of that list? Right. So I think one thing I talk to so many of my clients about is making sure you're measuring the right metrics. So I have one client, for example, who is based sort of like you're in your example. She's not based exactly in the city. She's based in a suburban area outside the city. And she's so upset that she's not ranking for her business name or her industry, uh, Atlanta, for example, when she's based outside of Atlanta. Right. And I'm like, if people are based in Atlanta, are they really going to drive 30 to 45 minutes to come to your business? And she's like, well, no, I don't actually have any clients from Atlanta. They're all from my suburban area. So it's important that we're measuring the metrics that matter. Um, so we started measuring for her, the actual city name where she's located and her industry. And we're seeing, oh, we are getting a ton of traffic from 
that area because it makes sense. People in that area are looking for someone local to them to serve them. So just making sure we're measuring the right things. Mm -hmm. And I also think a lot of people look at rankings and they're like, I'm not ranking number one, um, which can be an important metric to drive traffic. It's important to move ourselves up in the search results as best we can. But a lot of times, especially with local search, you were saying this person is located in a suburb of Indianapolis. There are so many other ways that people find you in search engine results. And one of the better ways to measure the actual results of your, your SEO is to look at things like how many people are calling your business, how many people are filling out contact forms. So many people are stuck on that traffic number. Mm-hmm that they don't focus on what's called like the conversion number. So did someone take an action after they landed on your site? And I find that I'm explaining, I end up explaining a lot to people. There's a difference between traffic and there's a, to your website and qualified traffic. So wouldn't you rather have like 50 people come to your website and 25 people of those fill out a contact form versus a thousand people come to your website and only have 25 of those people fill out a contact form. So you're you're driving different levels of qualified traffic to your site. And so it also factors in what people are searching when they come to your site. So you want to make sure that people are searching the kind of things that you actually do, like your additions and alterations. Um, and you're not driving traffic that that is eventually just going to leave and say, oh, this wasn't what I was looking for. This isn't the kind of service I need, or, you know, I'm commercial as opposed to residential, et cetera. So first thing first, make sure you're measuring the things that actually yeah, matter that's important. Yep. and drive the bottom line to your It's business. also interesting that you said that, that the ranking is not necessarily the most important thing, getting to number one. First of all, it's, today it's almost impossible to get to number one because yes. of all the, the commercial you know, companies and the ads. And I mean, you look at Google today and the first page is ads. And so it's like, it's hard to be on the first page because it's almost all paid for. Um, Correct. And I think that there's also an element of search, especially local search that many people don't know necessarily to take advantage of. Don't play into the rankings or what we call like the, the 10 blue links, the organic serves, and that's the local pack. So ensuring that your business has a Google, my business profile that you've optimized it for your location, for what you do at your business, residential additions and alterations, um, that you're, utilizing the tools that Google is giving you to show up. And that's called essentially a local citation. And it sort of corroborates that, yes, we're a real business. We have a, because Google makes you verify your business location with a physical, um, what's it? A physical postcard. That's an, I was like, passport? No, it's a physical, they send a physical postcard yeah. to your location. So you have to actually comes in, verify. comes in the mail. And yeah. you have to go back and, and type in the code that's on the card. Exactly. So if if Google determines that what someone is searching is a local search and they're looking, their intent is to find a local business, they'll show that local pack. So you want to make sure that you're included in that local pack. And that's also how you show up on the map, for example, when people are searching for um, a residential architect near me sort of thing. So that's so, another really big element. So Google my business, the Google my business profile that can you just Google Google my business and it'll pop up. How do people make sure that they have that signed up? Cause I, I would suspect that many of us probably don't have that, that first step. Yeah. That probably the easiest way is to search Google my business and it'll, one of the top results will be Google's, um, 
sort of like informational page on that. And then based on that, you can, you can essentially, there's probably like a button that says like, get started. I can find a screenshot and I haven't, the last one I set up was a couple months ago. So, yeah, um, okay. but there's also, if, if I'm, if you have a, a profile or a, a citation for your business that you don't necessarily control, like it shows up and you're like, how did it get there? There's generally a link about midway down the little card on the side of the search engine results that say like own this business question mark or you, and you can claim it. So there are a couple of different ways, but uh, yeah, I would, so many people think I have a, I have a website. That's all I need. And depending on how Google interprets a, a searcher's query or the question that they're typing in, it may be also important for you to manage that yeah. as like a third party uh, citation. And a lot of people, it's easy, fairly easy to set up. Like I said, they send you a, a postcard. And then I usually tell people the way to maintain it is almost like like you would maintain social media. Like you may get on your business Facebook for 15 minutes a day, make sure you post something about your business. Um, if you have reviews on Facebook, you respond to those. It's sort of the same for Google My Business. You can hop on. Uh, if you have reviews, you can respond to them. I generally recommend people respond to all reviews, even negative ones, just to show that you are engaged with your audience. You can post on Google My Business. You can post uh, events. You can post um, just like regular posts, like if you have new blog posts coming up. I think they have special options. So uh, there are different ways to engage. Oh, they also have a Q&A, which is really helpful. And as the business owner, a lot of people think, oh, I have to wait for my clients to ask the question and then I can answer it. But as a business owner, you can go in, ask the question and then answer it, especially if it's a common question that you see coming up. So there are tons of ways to engage on Google My Business and optimize that profile for that local search as well. And that's that's solidifying that you're that you're a real business to Google. Right. So that's that's right. super important. So that's the first step that you have to take in order right. to be even recognized by Google because they're confirming that you're actually a business because there are lots of spammy companies out there pretending to be businesses. <laughs> I just moved from New York to North Carolina. When I was in New York, I had like six different companies come to me by email and in my physical mail that <laughs> other companies had set up companies to my address. And so oh, I, was wow. getting, I was getting mail and I was getting emails for other, some towing company, for an orthodontics company. And then I get wow. on these, these mailing lists and I get all the junk mail that goes to all these businesses. Uh -huh. And so it's important to, to confirm with Google that you are actually the business that belongs, you know, where, where you're located. So to take that first step. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's considered a citation. So it's essentially like, like I said, corroboration. And that's why it's super important also to ensure what's called NAP consistency, N-A-P, and that's name, address, and phone number. And you just want to make sure that your business name, your business address, and your business phone number, phone number are the same across all of your online properties. So the same on your website as it is on your Google My Business profile, as it is on, on any like local or industry directories that you're a part of. And that across all platforms is another media. indication, yeah, to search engines that, okay, this is a real business. They are certified in all of these places. Um, so it's helpful across your different platforms as well. Yeah, super important. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. 
If you work with specifications in your firm, you probably have come across outdated manufacturer specs with confusing notes, products that no longer exist, or even maybe even companies that no longer exist. Maybe you even pay for specifications. Stop, stop right now. There's a better way to find manufacturer specifications for your project documentation, RCAT. RCAT.com. RCAT is the number one most used website for finding building product information and has a free library of over 1,400 up-to-date accurate specifications written by FCSI, CCS, and AIA professionals based on manufacturer's data. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right specifications for your project and quickly download them in multiple formats for free. That's right, RCAT is completely free. You don't even need to register. Just go to RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. RCAT.com. And start building better content today. Do you remember when you started your architecture firm? Well, maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you are in the middle of launching your architecture firm. It's not easy, is it? It takes lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Well, we are crazy busy, so why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners like us. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. Yep, tax time's coming up. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and the outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free. Free for 30 days, no catch, no credit card. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. Entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and enter entrearchitect in the how did you hear about us section to get started. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. What do you think of when you hear the words payroll and benefits? Payroll and benefits. Does that make your skin crawl? Does it make your spine tingle? Payroll and benefits are hard. It's okay. It's hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. A couple of more words that might make your skin crawl. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we're working today. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does all the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. To help support the show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash Gusto to claim your free three months of payroll processing. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto for three months free. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you. 
the Entree Architect community. Once we have that Google My Business set up and I have my website set up, what, what, what do I do next? Yeah, so there are different there are different options based on based on uh, when you or like essentially what's going on on the back end of your website and how you want to engage it. So I generally recommend people uh, look sort of at how their websites are set up, and this is called technical SEO. And I think a lot of people think technical means like you have to be super tech savvy, but there are definitely elements of it that are depending on especially what content management system or what system you have your website set up on. Some people use WordPress, some people use um, Wix or Squarespace. Those are examples of CMSs. But um, to go in to the back end of your site and make sure you're not preventing Google or other search engines from being able to what's called crawl or index your site. So essentially uh, go through your site and then put it in their library to serve up on search results. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they'll create a, a really awesome, beautiful website that looks amazing, but they, they have a no index set on it. So, which essentially means Google can't crawl your site. So yeah. you have an amazing site, but you've blocked search engines from being able to see it sort of thing. So there are small things like that, that you can uh, look at and take into consideration and and that sound that sounds more over overwhelming than it is because if you if your website is on Wix or Squarespace or or WordPress, there you just go into the back end pretty easy. You just sign into your account, go into your system, look for the SEO button because there's an SEO button in there. It may not be called SEO, but there's right. some there's some section in there where all of this stuff lives. And all you have to do is just double check to make sure that you know the the check boxes are what they should be. And, um, and there usually is a little information bubble that you can click that right. tells you which way it should be. Um, right. and then, and, and just make sure that's all there. Go ahead. Exactly. And, and usually they also phrase it in easy to understand language. Like, do you want search engines to find this site? And you'll click yes, because a lot of people, when they create a site, you know, you don't want people to be able to see it while you're in the process of creating it. And then when you're, when it goes live, you definitely want people to see it. So, um, that is much easier uh, or it's pretty easy in Wix and uh, Squarespace. Those are easy options. And I think they have really good support too. So if you have a question, you can ask their support team or search in their help, their help sections, and that can help you figure it out. WordPress, depending on if you built your site or if someone else built your site, there are what's called plugins that make it super easy. Like you were saying, you'll, you, you'll be able to go into the plugin. Uh, it'll say like SEO, and then you can make sure and, one really great plugin is called Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T, and that's an SEO plugin. There's a free version and a paid version, but even in the free version, you're able to check those sort of things. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's not as hard. You just have to sort of figure out where you're going. And what I tell people all the time is uh, a lot of what SEO is, is like Googling to figure it out. So uh, right. we do a lot of Googling as well. Like when something happens that, or a problem is hard to solve, my friends in SEO and I will just search for the answer too. And you can definitely find a lot of help articles out there um, just to make sure that everything is copacetic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Google and YouTube are, are great tools for if you run into a, a problem and you're not sure how to find that SEO section in your area, just Google how do I find my SEO section in Squarespace? And yes. there'll be some video that pops up or some blog post and it'll tell you step-by-step step how to do it. Exactly. 
And it's usually, and, you know, it's usually the company, you know, that, that Squarespace has a video that's out there. Yeah, they a lot of the sites have excellent support for help uh, finding those sort of things. And then I know that things like Wix, too, if you've built your website in Wix, they have a new SEO section and they'll make suggestions too, like, hey, you should put a title tag on this page or you should add these elements to this page. So that's really helpful for people who are uh, just learning SEO or or just figuring, you know, if you made your own website, just figuring out the back end of your own website. Right. All right. So we have our Google My Business set up and we have the back end all set up the way it should be. What do we do now? Yeah. Then you'll focus on what's called on-page SEO. So technical SEO is what your website is telling search engines and on-page SEO is what your website is telling users. So your users don't see the code on the back end of the site, but they see the text and the images and that sort of thing um, on the front end of your site. And so on-page SEO looks at things like what keywords are you using? It's important not to keyword stuff like you were mentioning before, people who just yeah. added the keyword over and over. But it doesn't uh, work anymore. Actually, it hurts you now, right? Google, if does. Google sees a website that's doing that, it'll actually push you down in the rankings. It does, especially because it sort of figures out you're not actually serving the user. If you're just if someone asks a question and you're just answering with the same keyword repeatedly, um, it can assume or estimate from its algorithms that you're not, you're not, you don't have a quality answer for that yeah. question. Which is, which is very important for those of you who built sites years ago when that worked. Yes. Because either you did that or a, a, one of your consultants did that because it did work, but today it right. doesn't work. So check that, make sure go back to your site and make sure you're not just loaded up with a bunch of the same keywords, you know, uh, Indianapolis editions and alterations, Indianapolis editions and alterations. <laughs> it, you know, that, that'll actually hurt you. So that might help if you go in and clean that kind of stuff up. Yeah. One, one thing I generally recommend is if you read your site aloud, so like read it to your dog or your family or something, and you'll hear how unnatural it sounds when you're reading it, um, to other people or even to yourself. And so that's why I generally recommend people write like you're talking to another human. Like if, if someone were to call you on the phone and ask this question, how would you explain it to them uh, just in layman's terms or to make it as easy as possible for them to understand? I generally recommend people write their content like that, their pages like that, because those are also the kind of things that people will be searching when they're in Google or Bing or whatever search engine they use. So uh, look at your keywords, make, but it's also important to make sure you're including the keywords in things like the titles, um, the meta descriptions, which are the little, the text that pops up in search engine results. That's kind of like a little ad to encourage people to click through to your website. So including them at least once so that people know that's what they're getting. Uh, when they're coming to your site is important. But yeah, it's definitely important not to keyword stuff where you just say it over and over. So yeah. write naturally, but think about what you want the page to rank for in search engine results when you're writing that and what questions of your your target audience you're answering. And the meta tags are important too. That's another thing you should check because we used to load up the meta tags with the keywords. Right. Um, so you may not see them on your site, but they may be in your back end and Google is seeing them. So just make sure that's cleaned up. But, but make sure that the keywords are there because they are super important. And even the meta tags should be done in a natural language, right? They, they shouldn't just be loaded up with, with keywords. Yeah. So I generally encourage people to think of like the meta description, for example, like I said, as a tiny ad. So you're, 
as a tiny ad text. You want people to click through to your site and you want to tell them what they're getting when they're clicking through. Um, those also, the title tags in the meta description also have a character limit. So it's important that you get your important words and the general idea across within that character limit. Otherwise, search engines will truncate it and people won't get to see the whole idea. Um, and then I think a lot of people also included what was called meta keywords in the past. Those are generally obsolete now. So if your website has meta keywords in the back end, you're just telling your competitors the keywords that you're targeting. <laughs> so <laughs> if you have an older site that someone built a while back, it's worth taking those meta keywords off of the back end of your site, um, depending on how they added those in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, um, so on page SEO, make sure your keywords are there, make sure that everything's written in high quality, natural language. Yeah. Just that high, high quality is really important, right? Google's looking for that as well. Um, and, uh, the meta tags and meta descriptions, those meta tags and meta descriptions, again, sound overwhelming and technical, but they're right there when you're assembling your page in the back end, they're usually a section on that page that talks about, you know, the meta tags or meta descriptions. Right. It's uh, in Wix and Squarespace, there are the SEO options for each page. And then, like I said, in WordPress, if you have a plugin like Yoast, uh, whatever page or post you're creating, if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, there's usually like a little box for Yoast where you can set the SEO title, you can set the SEO meta description. And then when you publish your blog or, or page for on your site, it'll publish uh, that along with it. Okay, great. So, so is there anything else with on-page SEO that we should be thinking about? The only thing I, we were talking earlier and you were saying that so many architects are creatives and they focus on the visual and the images. And I've noticed with a lot of different sites that focus on imagery and they, they want to have um, examples of what they offer to people um, on their websites, that a lot of times the images are really huge. Like mm -hmm. they, yeah. Most people, you, you want people to have a good user experience. You want them to come to your site and be wowed. But oftentimes the images are print versions uh, when you just need a web version. And having a huge Im image like that can really slow your site down. And I think uh, Google does what, not I think, but I think that the average person has like three seconds before they're like, all right, the page is not loading and then they'll hit the back button. So our attention spans are very low now, but Google also indexes. So it looks at sites and then puts them in its library from the perspective of a mobile phone now, because they determined that, you know, 50% of searchers and now probably more um, look at websites on, from their, from a mobile device, a tablet, or even from like data as opposed to on Wi-Fi or on the internet. And so when your site is super slow, it loads even slower on a mobile device. So it's crucial that you size your images correctly and that you do what's called compressing them. Um, there are lots of, I can, um, I'll send you some links to, to include in the show notes if you want, great. but there are some really great options for easy compression of images, losslessly compressing them so that you don't, sort of degrade the quality, but they're not as huge and they don't take as long to load on websites because a, a fast mobile friendly site is crucial for your site performance. Yeah. And for two reasons, because one, if somebody comes to your site and it's like you had mentioned, Carolyn, that, that if it takes too long to load, 
they're just on to the next site. I don't, I don't have time for this. I have, right. I have, I have dinner to cook. I have dogs to walk. I, I right. do not have time to sit here and watch my, this picture load. So the, the, the images need, and they will look just as good. Don't worry. They just, yeah. they need to just be sized as, as appropriate. Your website, um, uh, the, um, content management system, your, your Squarespace, they'll tell you what the images could be. Um, and then you can bring them into a, a, you know, an editing software and just, you know, bring them down to a different, smaller size, smaller, uh, um, uh, resolution and then, and then re-upload them right where they were. They look just as beautiful as they did before, but they load faster. Um, Canva is a really good tool, um, for resizing and then, you know, doing a bunch of creative stuff and you can use the free version of that. And then I'll send you some other compression stuff to include too. Yeah, great. Thank you. Can- Canva really? is an online, uh, it's sort of like Photoshop online, super easy and free. Yes, so, uh, the best C- part, free. C- C-A-N-V-A, Canva. Like canvas without the S. And yes. Yoast is like toast without with, with the Y instead of a T. Exactly. <laughs> it's Yoast. Yoast. I think that's Canva. actually how they describe it on the Yoast website too, yeah. is that it's toast with a Y. <laughs> yep, toast with a Y. Um, so images are super important. And especially for architects, because we're, our websites are loaded with images, because yeah. that's we want to show everybody what we do. Um, and so make sure that those images are set up the way that they should be set up. Um, and the mobile friendly is super important too. Google is pushing the mobile friendly sites up and the non-mobile friendly sites down. And they're not showing people the sites that are not mobile friendly. Um, right. Is there anything else that we should be doing in terms of mobile friendliness? Um, especially if you, like you mentioned, if you created a site a really long time ago, if it's not what's called responsive, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be worth looking into maybe a full site redesign or at least changing the template on your site. And responsive just means that, um, I'm sure we've all been to a website you get on your mobile phone, it loads and it looks like the full desktop site on a tiny screen and you're, you're having to zoom in and you can't figure, you can't read the text. Uh, a responsive site automatically adjusts the design of the site based on the screen size of the device your user is on. So whether they're on a full desktop, a laptop, a tablet, or a mobile phone, it'll adjust and it, what's what's called like break things at the right place. So if you have two buttons side by side um, on a mobile device on a on your full desktop um, on a mobile device, they'll stack on top of each other so that you can still see them both and you can read the buttons and that sort of thing. So creating a responsive site is also really helpful for mobile search. And I think a lot of people in the past had separate desktop and mobile sites. They had sites that were like m.myurl.com. And so the problem with that was that people were actually maintaining two different sites. You had to have your desktop site and you had to have your mobile site. And because of that, people didn't always put the same things on both sites. And so if your mobile site ends up being what ranks in mobile, mobile first indexing, then it won't be the same content that's on your desktop site. And people could be potentially missing out on a lot of your offers or features or services. Um, So responsive is generally the best way to go. And depending on how your website is set up, most CMS systems um, have that built into a lot of their templates. So if you're using Squarespace, the majority, I think all of their templates are responsive. Same for Wix. And then most um, WordPress templates that you can buy now are responsive. And then if you have a developer that's building it for you, 
just make sure that you're telling them that that's what's important to you, that people can use it across devices. Yeah. If your if your website is not responsive, it's time to rebuild your website. It absolutely <laughs> must be responsive today because you're I didn't client, want to say that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Your clients are looking for you on their phone. You know, they're in line, you know, waiting for their kid and they're, you know, scrolling through looking for architects on their phone. It's a four inch screen. <laughs> if it's, yeah. if they can't see it, they're on to the next one. And so you absolutely must have a responsive site. Um, all right. Uh, anything else we should be concerned with? I think those are the general yep. basics. Uh, if you want to dive in deeper, you can always uh, get a full SEO audit that will give you all the minutia of the things you can fix on your site. But those are the general overview of the technical side, the on-page side, and then the performance aspects of a website, sort of the trifecta of understanding the elements of SEO on your web page. Yeah. Fantastic. This is great. I mean, this is more than enough for us to, to go in and make sure. I'm going to go and check all my sites because I have a bunch of sites and I want to make sure they're all working as well. So Google My Business Profiles. Uh, make sure you're signed up for there. Uh, your SEO settings, your, in, your inside, your technical SEO settings, make sure they're set up. Google does see you. Your on-page SEO, so your natural language and your keywords, your meta descriptions, make sure they're all set up. Make sure your images, super important, your images are set up properly and they're compressed properly so they load very quickly. They still will look beautiful, don't worry. Yes. Um, and make sure your site is mobile friendly. Make sure it's responsive. That it, when it's on your big desktop monitor and it looks beautiful and then you look at your same site on your iPhone, it looks just as beautiful. That it's adjusted and you can still read it and you can click all the buttons and do everything you can. Do all that and then if you want to go deeper, then go deeper. You can go visit... Uh, uh, Carolyn at, what's your site? It's uh, searchhermit.com. Yeah. Searchhermit.com. There's a whole bunch of other stuff there. You can reach out to her. I'm sure you do audits if somebody wanted to do an audit. I do. And I also have free resources on my blog for things like setting up Google Analytics and elements of SEO that are just beyond what we talked about today too. So people can go there and continue to learn as well. Great. So that's searchhermit, H-E-R-M-I-T, searchhermit.com. You can go find her there. Carolyn, before we wrap things up, um, I want to ask you my one question that I ask everyone. Yes. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, so we touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to hammer it home. I really think you should go uh, start uh, Google My Business Profile or get your Google My Business Profile set up, not only because of the elements we talked about earlier. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I can I don't just serve a particular area or I could do some I could do these things for people nationwide. Um, and you can set service areas if, you know, you want to serve beyond your individual area. But it's still it's still an important citation to tell Google that you are a real business, you're serving users. And then it's also an opportunity to solicit reviews and that those also show up in search results. So you want to make sure that you anytime you serve someone after the job is done, you can say, hey, uh, we'd love if you'd leave us a review on our Google My Business page. And if you have a Facebook page too, you can ask for reviews there. But making sure that you have that property so that you can ask for those reviews so that your five stars or four and a half stars show up in your Google search results as well. Stars are super important and they're what's called a SERP feature, a search engine results page feature that Google is including more and more, especially in local packs. And it's actually been proven that people look at that before they even click through to a site. So that's a really crucial element of getting, not only showing up first in your search engine results, but getting that 
first conversion, which is a click through from the search results to your site. And that's what we're looking for, right? We're not, yes. This, the ranking's great. makes you feel good that you're up there. Right. And you can look at your traffic and you have thousands of people checking out. But if they're not coming and knocking on your door, then it's all a waste of time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, her name is Carolyn Leiden, L-Y-D-E-N. Searchhermit.com is the website. Um, Carolyn, before we started, I asked if there was any additional uh, resources or anything that, that you might want to share. Is there anything that uh, people can, can find and download from you? Sure. Yeah. So I actually am really excited about this. I just put together and released uh, a technical SEO audit that you can do yourself. So it's essentially a handbook that explains even more in depth than we talked about today, um, some of the five basic elements of technical SEO, and then how you can go in and make sure those elements are correct. And if they're not, how to fix them on your website. Um, and it, it talks about how to do it on all the different CMSs we talked about too. So you can find that at searchhermit.com forward slash SEO. Simple as that. Searchhermit.com yeah. slash SEO. Yes. Car Carolyn, this is this was really good. This is sort of, you know, a step-by-step -step process. What do we need to do to check to make sure our sites are working? If we're building a new site, make sure we're building them this way. Uh, this is going to be one of those, those episodes that people go back to over and over and over again. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I love talking SEO, so I'm happy to be on. This is episode 312. The show notes are at entrearchitect.com slash episode 312. Links to everything that we talked about. And that's the way you can download this episode. Link to it any way you want to. And that's the link to share. entrearchitect.com slash 312. Please share this episode with just one friend. That's it. You can share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any way you want. Email, tell your friend across the street, whatever you want to do but share it with one person that doesn't know about it. And we will continue to grow this podcast, this platform for small firm architects. Thank you for sharing. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 312. Love, learn, share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, 
and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.